Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Cyber. My guest today is Michael Meese, the Associate CISO at the University of Kansas Health System, which is one of the largest healthcare providers in the Midwest. When I started this podcast, one of my motivators was to talk with CISOs about what it means to, quote unquote, align cyber with the business. This topic has become a bit of a buzzword and sort of a catchphrase over the past few years. And I've noticed there really weren't a lot of forums having tactical discussions with CISOs about what this means in practice. Well, my conversation with Michael today is all about this topic. So what we go into depth into is tactically, how does he operate so that he can stay very close with key business functions and ensure that cybersecurity strategy supports, enables, and protects overall business strategy. So hope you guys enjoy. And without further ado, I'm excited to hand it over to Michael Meese. Well, the party is off to a good start. Michael, welcome to the show. I've really been looking forward to this. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, of course. Well, uh, as a way to maybe kick off and set a little bit of context, I'd love to spend maybe a minute or two on sort of your background um, and ultimately how you found your way into the world of cybersecurity. Yeah, sure. Um, so like a lot of people in this industry, I kind of got my start uh, in the military. I joined the army when I was 19, I think, um, and uh, did quite a few different jobs for them, but mostly around uh, tactical communications, which is really just a fancy way of saying radios. Um, and uh, that involved uh, doing uh, signal encryption, obviously. And so I started to learn about encryption and then kind of branched out from there about learning about um, information protection in general. Why do we encrypt things in the first place? And really kind of got interested in it. So when I got out of the Army, uh, I went to support the Department of Defense uh, running a, uh, a knock uh, on you know, running night shift for a couple of knock analysts uh, and kind of got even more exposure to the information security space, which was really interesting. Uh, so I did that for about a year and then went to go support the Department of Agriculture. And that was really my first, what I would call uh, actual cybersecurity job, uh, doing incident response and, and working at a SOC and uh, did that for the next seven years or so. Um, which was a lot of fun, but uh, as it usually does, the incident response space kind of wore on me after a while, the 24 by 7 nature of it. Uh, so the next role I took was with H&R Block, where uh, I was working on rebuilding their GRC program and got really interested in quantitative risk while I was there and, um, and kind of delved into that space. Uh, did that for a couple of years and then landed where I'm at now about two years ago uh, with the University of Kansas Health System. Uh, where I've been for uh, almost the past two years, which has kind of flown by. Now, I'd love to maybe dig into that as kind of our first, like, maybe meaty subject. Um, so mm -hmm. as you think about sort of your role to InfoSec leadership at the University of Kansas Health System, um, how would you describe your approach to security leadership? My approach to leadership all starts with the concept of ownership. Um, there's a fantastic book that I recommend everybody read called Extreme Ownership. Um, and uh, that's that's really core and fundamental to my views on people leadership in general. 
um, is giving people the space to own things and own them, not just that they get to do the work, but they get to own the decisions, they get to own the outcomes, and uh, they own the responsibility and the accountability and everything that comes with it within their space. And uh, as I have come up through through leadership roles, uh, both in security and outside of security, that I think has been the number one thing that every high performer is looking for is the ability to be able to own their space and own the outcomes of their space. And so I've, I always approach that as kind of the foundational um, uh, foundational building block of, of everything else that uh, security and leadership is built on is giving people that ownership uh, over what they're doing. How do you balance that with sort of the, you know, the recognition that sometimes as a leader, you have to get into the weeds and get into the details mm-hmm. um, because the details matter. Right. Yeah. And so it, you do have to balance it out with people's experience level doing a particular thing. Um, you can't just throw somebody into the deep end and say, you own it all now um, and and let them go. And so um, I, I also kind of balance it with with uh, if you're familiar with the situational leadership approaches where you kind of grade people a little bit on, you know, how experienced are you on doing this? And, and on those, you provide a little bit more support, um, but you make it very clear, you know, that it's a crawl, walk, run type of thing. You know, you're in the crawl phase. So I'm giving you guidance the first time you go through this next time, you know, you're going to do it on your own with some oversight and then you're moving towards that ultimate ownership thing. So it's not ownership you know, from day one, 100% entirely, you still have accountability for the outcome of their product as well. Uh, But it's with the idea that you are moving towards them owning it and being able to take accountability uh, for the the work product involved. Yeah. As you think back on sort of your, you know, cybersecurity leadership experience thus far, Mm -hmm. what are some of the biggest mistakes you've made and subsequent like lessons learned? So mistakes, mm-hmm. maybe you're, you're glad that uh, were made because the lessons were so useful. I think the number one thing I've, I've learned and I kind of have to continue to work on is I am a highly competitive person um, and not just in the you know cool way of I want to win. Uh, it's like to a fault, I am competitive. And so very early in my career and, uh, and probably into the middle part of my career as well, too, uh, is... I turned everything into a zero sum game, uh, even with my coworkers, even with other people on my team, it was, I had to win. And for me to win, it meant they had to lose. Uh, and I, I did not always do a very good job at approaching it as a partnership. And I had some great mentors who kind of continued to poke me on that, that subject repeatedly over the years, uh, before it, it kind of clicked with me where, uh, you're all headed in the same direction. And uh, just because you're doing well doesn't mean you can't bring other people along with you. And so if I could boil that down into kind of a single piece of advice uh, for you know somebody early in their career, I would say focus on partnership and mutual enablement um, rather than always trying to you know win every single time. Yeah. So what does winning look like for you now? Like what's winning look like in your your current job? Winning for me is empowering the organization to do what they're there to do. Um, the health system, like 
99% of other organizations is not here to do cybersecurity. Um, in fact, they probably would like to talk to me as little as possible, uh, which is true of most CISOs. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of something I always impart on uh, people new to security as well, too, is you kind of have to go into this mindset of that we, we as security exist uh, almost begrudgingly. Um, it is because of external factors that security as an industry even exists. No business wants to have security. They have to, and they know they have to. And so they do that as a responsible investment, but it's not anything that people are running around asking to build a cybersecurity team. And so we have to understand what it means for the organization to win. And then our wins are to enable that to happen. So from the health system, our goal is to take care of patients. It's always going to be to take care of patients. And so our win is when we can make sure that the business is able to continue taking care of patients um, <clears throat> and then reach their other strategic growth objectives. Um, like we, we do research and so being able to um, you know, innovate in the healthcare space. Those are all business wins. And so my win is going to be when I can help them do that. I know one thing we, we wanted to talk about, and you, I think what you referenced earlier in the, uh, in the call about quantitative risk is like a, a piece of this, but yep. something that was, was even a like inspiration for me starting this podcast two and a half years ago or so mm -hmm. um, was on unpacking this statement that is aligned cybersecurity with the business. Um, yep. And it's, it's one of those statements that's obviously like nobody disagrees with, right? That, that with that as an intention or a mission, it's kind of a no shit statement, but <laughs> what, like, what, what does it really mean in practice? So I'm curious to get yeah. your point of view on that. Like when you think about ensuring you guys are quote unquote aligned with the business, I'm sure it's part enablement, but what does that mean to you and how do you make it happen? Right. You're, you're absolutely correct. That whole business alignment of security has become uh, almost a buzzword uh, probably over the past two to three years. Uh, it, you know, it, it seems like it's part of every GRC product out there now and um, every initiative is aligned to the business. And um, it's, it's fantastic that it's getting that much traction, but I think a lot of the original meaning of it uh, is starting to, to lose its gusto as well, too. And so really, when I think of aligning to the business, it, it's kind of what I mentioned earlier. It's about truly understanding what it, what does the business exist to do? Um, how does it operate? What are the strategic objectives? Um, and when I talk about how a business operates, I'm not just talking about, you know, kind of the high level of, you know, what, what the business does or whether it's public or private or something like that. I'm talking about really in the weeds of how do things get accomplished within the organization? Um, what does a revenue cycle look like? Um, you know, who are the, um, who are the strategic drivers within the organization at your senior leadership level? Um, what's driving the strategic direction of the organization and really intimately understanding why the business is the way that it is and where that it's headed um, because every single other department except for security understands this whether they explicitly understand it or intuitively understand it because they're involved with it every day they all understand where the business is headed and they are aligned to it naturally because it is part of the work that they're doing security has to take it a step further and intentionally align our work to it 
because uh, security could be done in a vacuum, very poorly done in a vacuum, but it could be done in a vacuum. And so unless we intentionally understand all of those pieces of the business and then um, attach our cybersecurity strategy to either enabling or protecting those to continue operating, uh, then we're going to find ourselves kind of on the outside looking in uh, or, you know, the the CISO never gets invited to any of the meetings is kind of kicking and screaming at the door and all of those fun things. Yeah. I'd love to maybe better understand your your framework or your approach for remaining close with the business, quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned like not just at a high level understanding the strategic objectives, but mm-hmm. understanding really tactically the bones of the operation, right? How it all works, how money gets in the door and out the door. So how do you do that within your business in terms of like meetings that you go to, people you talk to, et cetera? Yep. Uh, It's all about spending time with people. Uh, That is the number one way. I'm sure there might be a more efficient way, but the best way that I have found is just spending time with people. So I have routine one-on-one meetings uh, set up with leaders throughout our organization. Um, Some of them I probably never would talk to if I didn't have these one-on-one meetings set up. Uh, People from our strategy office, people from uh, clinical, the clinical side and clinical informatics, et cetera, people from our revenue cycle team, um, HR, et cetera. And those conversations allow me to listen and ask questions about what are they working on? Uh, what challenges are they facing? What are they trying to accomplish? And you can glean all kinds of fascinating stuff, not only about their work, but about how they're approaching problems and uh, the way that they surface solutions. And it really gives you great insight into uh, how the organization operates. And then is also a great way to kind of get a heads up of new things that might be coming down the pipes, where even if you weren't in the room when that decision was made, uh, you kind of still hear about it through the grapevine. Uh, I think the the most effective CISOs are ones who have incredible relationships built across the entire organization and then are able to use those to, um, number one, stay informed, and then number two, to be able to influence uh, the direction of, of the organization uh, to uh, enable some of those security projects that can be a little bit difficult to get across the finish line at times. Yeah. What do you think makes that so difficult for certain security professionals? Like, why is this, what, why does it seem to be a foreign concept? I think it's, it's a lot of it's our own fault. If I'm being totally honest, um, ours being the industry is I think for a long time, uh, security was an afterthought. It was something, you know, that it did, uh, in addition to what they were doing, you know, and that was back when you had you know, a couple firewalls and that was your security. And as security has kind of grown and evolved, we've almost taken on this hero complex of, you know, the the dark cyber mage standing in front of the organization with the shield protecting them from all of the hackers. And um, in a way, we've almost relished our position as like the misunderstood um, organization that nobody gets and is so hard, et cetera. And so I, I think the I think that difficulty is overcoming that that ego check, so to speak, of, of you know 
we're not that special. Um, we, we are just another part of the organization, another cog in the wheel that helps that organization continue to move forward. And the principles that we are based on are nothing new. These are the principles of war strategy and security that have existed you know, since the dawn of time. Uh, they're just applied in new ways um, and to novel concepts and obviously at velocities that you know, we've never seen before from a human perspective. Um, but I think that's that is going to be first and foremost is overcoming that piece of it. And I think once we do that, we start to be able to build the other things that we need, like the understanding that we need to be able to influence people. We need to be able to communicate effectively using completely non-technical terms. We have to build relationships. We can't just you know use the um, big, bad, scary cyber hammer every time we want something done. Um, and so I think a lot of the difficulties that we encounter are self-inflicted. And uh, when we when we step out of that box and really start to take a good hard look at ourselves and check our egos at the door, uh, we'll find that partnership and that business alignment to be a lot easier than probably we historically have. I do like the uh, the cyber mage analogy. So <laughs> maybe rock it gives a some uh, bright imagery. Yeah, yeah. Break, <laughs> wear a cape to your next next board meeting. <laughs> so one thing I was curious to understand is you're you, you seem very self assured and are very just articulate and crisp in how you organize your approach to security leadership. So I'm curious mm -hmm. to hear. Maybe what do you struggle with? Like, what's like a, a challenge that you face on a, a regular basis? Um, well, I feel very disorganized, so I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, but uh, my my problem, honestly, is I try to do everything at once um, all the time. I I I struggle a lot with um, kind of half measures and incremental approaches. I I just want to go, and uh, that that's rarely the right solution, uh, especially once you get to, you know, a, a director CISO type level, um, rarely does anything happen overnight and rarely can you drop everything and focus on one thing. And so that, that's something, um, again, you know, so I've had some great mentors throughout my career that have really helped me to work on that as well too, is, um, the, the goal is one foot in front of the other. The goal is constantly moving forward, constantly moving uphill and, um, and, and really being able to take those kind of daily wins and focus on the larger picture instead of, you know, having to reach the mountaintop in one day. What's something that maybe, you know, now, you know, two years into your, your gig at university of Kansas health system that you wish you knew at the beginning of your time there. That's a great question. Uh, healthcare has brought a variety of learning opportunities for me. Uh, you know, going back to your self-assuredness comment, um, I, I've for a long time thought security was security, and there there weren't that many nuances between industries. Because uh, when I moved from government to financial services, it was largely the same, and so I thought healthcare would be kind of the same too. You just applied in a different way, and for the most part, it was. But there are some unique um, pieces of healthcare. Um, probably the most unique is health is uh, medical devices. Um, that is the most challenging um, thing I've probably taken on uh, so far. Um, you're being able to uh, take a 
a, a security strategy towards medical devices that still enables them to be used in the way that they were meant to be used um, is incredibly challenging for a variety of reasons. And if I could go back, you know, 18 months from now, I would have advised me to spend more time uh, researching that and have a better approach out the gate to deal with them um, than probably what I walked in with. Do you mind elaborating on that before? I just haven't talked to somebody that specifically talked about the complexity of medical device security. So could you elaborate on, obviously it's a critical piece of delivering patient care, but why is that so difficult? Yeah, so medical devices are essentially IoT devices in most cases. Um, And so IoT devices in and of themselves are a challenge. Um, Medical devices add another layer of complexity. Um, Number one, because availability of of a medical device is paramount. When a practitioner wants to be able to use a medical device to care for a patient, it has to be available. Um, Or when you're talking about long-term care, you know, a heart monitor can't just stop working at any given point in time. So you you can't touch them with a lot of security tools uh, because it will impact the availability of them. Sometimes something as simple as a vulnerability scan will take them down um, or brick them entirely. So they're very, very fragile. Um, The other piece of it is then accuracy is very important too. When you're talking about um, very specific doses of medicine in the case of a a pump, um, they have to be very accurate. And so the function of the device is absolutely important as well too. And so again, you want to avoid trying to touch them directly. Um, The other side of it um, more has to do with the supply chain processes. So a lot of medical devices can be procured um, sometimes directly by uh, physicians. Um, They'll have... um, they will have salespeople from the medical device manufacturer selling directly to the physician, and they don't always flow through the normal kind of supply chain process. And so sometimes you find out about medical devices kind of after they're getting ready to come online and need to be used. And then the third part of it is they're they're heavily regulated, um, but heavily and vaguely regulated. So the FDA certifies medical devices from a, a medical treatment perspective. You know, is it does it do what it's supposed to do and does it do it accurately? But the the cybersecurity side of that certification is still kind of drastically behind. Um, and so um, we don't have a kind of strong certification standards uh, around the security features that even need to be there. Uh, and so you'll see some medical devices running on inherently insecure protocols, um, not able to receive updates uh, over over wireless. And so even if you wanted to update them, you're talking about walking around to a thousand different devices and updating them manually. So that adds another layer. And then the that compounds when you talk about the life cycle of a medical device can sometimes be very long. Sometimes they'll be in service for five, seven years. And so if they're not getting updates that entire time, uh, you've got you know, these horribly outdated devices from a security perspective that still function perfectly fine from a clinical perspective. Um, and, and then finally, uh, as if to pile on on top of all of that, uh, the providers are very consolidated. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's some major manufacturers that produce a lot of the medical devices that you see, and because they have a lot of uh, 
a lot of power within the market, there's not a bunch of incentive for them to change anything that they're doing uh, unless regulated to do so. And so we saw that a lot with like the log4j issue where we found devices that had log4j uh, vulnerabilities and manufacturers who were massive, who um, just basically said, we're not doing anything about it. Um, you can't buy this device anywhere else. So what are you going to do? Um, and so, uh, yeah. yeah, so <laughs> we, we don't have enough negotiating power as, you know, a mid market, um, healthcare system to really put much pressure on them. And so we really look to leverage like the power of the HI SAC and, um, and, and hopefully the FDA at some point to kind of put more pressure on manufacturers to take a more active role in medical, medical device security. Um, cause I think it would, um, it, it would help move things forward quite a bit from a healthcare posture perspective. I'm going to stitch this into a, a LinkedIn post you made last week about just saying yes um, and yep. trying new things, right? And how much a lot of your career advances have been as a result of saying yes to challenging scenarios and big problems. And, mm -hmm. you know, that it's a perfect example. And it struck a chord because, right, something that was new to you. You just spoke about uninterrupted for five minutes and like laid it out very organized and succinctly. Um, so an example, right, of saying yes to something new. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious to understand like just that as a philosophy of, you know, a lot of people are want things changed in their lives, right? Maybe mm -hmm. personally or professionally, work experience, whatever it may be, um, but are scared, right? There's hesitations to give new things a shot for a variety mm -hmm. of reasons. So. Could you speak to that um, just as a, as a philosophy and maybe some examples of leaps you've taken that you're glad you did take? Yeah, absolutely. So it just all kind of boils down to this core concept that I have, that I, I, I've always found the pain of regret to be a lot more than the pain of, uh, of whatever mess I got myself into. Um, because absolutely saying yes, um, you know, sometimes you end up in messes. It happens. You know, you take a step. You, it didn't turn out what you thought it was going to be, uh, and you know, then you got to try something different. Um, but the the things that always stick out in my mind were the what I felt like were missed opportunities. Where I look back, you know, two years ago or something, and I say, man, I really wish I'd have tried that thing. You know, I never got an opportunity to do that again. Um, and to me, that has always stung way more than the, the whatever mess I got myself into. And so I, I thankfully realized that pretty early in my career while I was in the army, honestly. Um, and so I've, I've just kind of followed that throughout my life of, you know, it, if something seems challenging and new, um, just go for it and see what happens. And there's there's been several kind of inflection points um, where that has happened, most notably when I left um, supporting government IT in general, because uh, up until 2019, that was all I knew was federal IT, whether as a member of the army um, or as a contractor for DOD and then USDA, all I knew was the federal IT space. And so when, when I wanted to do something different and I was looking at H&R Block, you know, I had people telling me like, oh, private sector is way different. You know, you're moving into GRC. You don't really know GRC that well. Um, and I was like, well, I'll just figure it out. You know, I'll give it a shot. And uh, and it, it worked out well. Um, it, it aligned with what I was trying to do from a career perspective. It was a fun, fun role. I met a lot of really cool people, had a great time. And uh, it, 
it, it's just something kind of baked into the way I think about things is I try to think about what could go right instead of what could go wrong. And I would say by and large, the majority of the time, more of the stuff that could have gone right ends up happening than the stuff that could have gone wrong. Are there maybe some specific instances where you knew you wanted to become a CISO? Or was that something that was that like less plotted, if you will? So that's where uh, I, I'm different from a lot of CISOs and that I did not back into this role. Um, it was actually very early on in my career, I think maybe 2014 or so, where I said I want to be a CISO by the time I'm 35. Uh, and that was a goal that I set for myself. And so uh, the majority of my career moves uh, have been with that goal in mind about learning um, you know, whatever I needed to in order to uh, effectively do that role. Uh, actually, going back to my move to H&R Block, one of the reasons why I took that move was because I had never held a strictly GRC role. Um, I had GRC functions that rolled up to me in my last um, in my last consulting role with the government, um, but I was not, you know, kind of in the weeds uh, on it. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to be an effective CISO, I really need to understand this GRC side. And so what better way to do it than leading a GRC team? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to uh, H&R Block and specifically Terry Harlow, who hired me into that role and, you know, knew that that was my first pure GRC role um, and kind of took a leap of faith on me as well. And, uh, but that was with the intention that I wanted to build uh, a foundation to be an effective CISO in the future. I know some people frown upon that, you know, having a, a goal of getting into a, a certain title or certain position, uh, but kind of going back to that competitive side of me, I kind of always have to have a finish line or a, a goal that I'm trying to reach. And so for me, it made sense to, to set it where I wanted to and, and then kind of align and chart my path through making sure to keep that in mind. So with that, what's, uh, what's the next the next goal when we do this again a year from now or three years from now what's the uh the new not necessarily a you know professional title or anything but what's the next mm -hmm. like goal you want to track towards um well i would I, I i still do not consider my goal completely finished um although i have kind of this the the scope that i'm looking for uh from a CISO role um i still have the a in front of my title so technically my goal is not completely finished um, but I do want to continue to expand um, kind of beyond the, the security space as well. Um, I, I'm very interested by um, uh, kind of digital innovation, digital transformation within uh, the within organizations and how that happens. And I would love to get more involved uh, in that type of role. Um, I've also explored, um, you know, the, the consultancy market uh, is really interesting. That's probably the only thing I miss about the, the government side is being in a consultancy type role. You kind of see new problems every day. You see a lot of different environments all at the same time um, and being able to kind of dive into a lot of different problems uh, very quickly. And with the type of person that I am, that type of uh, that type of environment is is really enticing as well. So I would say it's to be de determined at this time for me what the next goal is going to be. Um, but it's definitely going to involve something beyond uh, just a strict security role. Yeah, cool. Could you see yourself going to the dark side and joining a, a vendor? 
it's unlikely. Um, I, I love good vendor partners. Um, I appreciate the really good ones, which in my opinion are few and far between. Um, but it's unlikely for me. Um, I, I don't think I would be a good fit for a vendor role if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. How come just to dig into that a little bit more, I can't help myself. Um, I, I, I'm not what you call a uh, kind of a true believer in any kind of single one, one product. And so I tend to be overly honest about where shortcomings are in certain products or certain service offerings, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and, and the people that I have seen try that in the vendor space uh, usually don't last long. Uh, and so it, it would take a vendor um, who I'm 100% bought into and would be willing to let me continue to be myself um, yeah. in that type of a role um, in order for that to make sense. Um, so I, I never say never, you know, going back to saying yes to things, uh, <laughs> you know, if the offer to, were to present itself, it's something I would, you know, take a look at. Um, but it would have to be the exact right role, um, the right situation, the right product, et cetera, for it to make sense for me. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, let's go ahead and transition into the uh, the rapid fire round. Um, so basic sure. premise, I ask a few quick questions and you share whatever comes top of mind. Sound good? Okay. Yep. Sounds great. All right. What is uh, your favorite book? Favorite book? Um... I can't narrow it down to just one, so I'm going to give you two. That's, um, that it's works. The two that I read at least every 12 months: um, Extreme Ownership, which I talked about earlier, and The Art of War. Ooh, okay. What's the biggest takeaway from The Art of War? Um, that every battle is not one on the battlefield, um, and that applies to uh, much more than just battle. Uh, every Everything is everything that you do will be a result of your preparation for that thing, uh, and I think that's something that applies to any facet of life. Love it. I was I was about to say try to weave this in anyways. We're recording this late in the afternoon, early in the evening on Valentine's Day, so we should probably <laughs> uh, wrap this up. Speaking of battles. But, uh, <laughs> Thankfully, my wife and I don't celebrate Valentine's Day, so it's just yeah. another day for us. But, uh... <laughs> All right, next one. Um, let's see. What's the best piece of career advice you've ever received? Best piece of career advice. Wow, uh, that's a good one. Um, probably to uh, build partnerships. Um a good friend of mine and a good mentor, uh, his name's Carrig Stanwick, um, imparted that on me um, during our time together. And almost every time I was doing anything, it was, how are you building a partnership with this? Um, you know, how are you going to build that relationship, et cetera? And that's something that I have carried to this day and is instrumental in my success. That's a good one. If you could change uh, one thing about the cybersecurity industry, what would it be? Um, to instill more mission orientation and ethics across the industry. Mm, okay. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, I think that um, with all of the with with all of the commoditization of security um, over the past five years or so. 
I think we've in many ways have lost sight of why we exist and what we're trying to do and uh, focus too much on the shiny toys and the, how we get there. And um, I think we've become honestly kind of full of ourselves. Um, and so I think if we could refocus on why we exist and what we're here to do and our role in the world and our role in the organization, um, I think it would be a, a catapult of maturity for the organization and for the industry. And last question, if you could uh, go back in time and get a drink with your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give him? I would say be patient. Uh, I, am an, I am an impatient person, and uh, I, especially the first 10 years of my career or so, it was always, what's next? You know, as soon as I reached anything, I, I wouldn't always take time to appreciate it. Um, and it was, you know, just move on to the next goal. And so as I've progressed in my career, um, I've learned to kind of enjoy the moments. Um, and as they, especially as they get, you know, harder and harder to come by and farther and farther apart, um, you know, really, really take time to, to take stock of where you're at, what you accomplished and enjoy it, uh, for a minute before you move on to the next thing. Love it. Well, Michael, this has been, uh, been really fun, man. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to, uh, to catch up with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Joe.